Hello and welcome to the All32 podcast. This is our game preview edition. Uh, as well as previewing this week's actions, we are also going to do our regular article review. Who are All32? We are a podcast and a blog. Um, we are for the fans, by the fans. Uh, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sean and Lee. Sean, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Just Getting back to a UK body clock eventually. So, all good, mate. Looking forward to a good weekend of action. Now, brilliant. Lee, uh, how about yourself? Yeah, same thing. Um, really well. Just looking forward to a good weekend of football. Hopefully seeing the Patriots get beat. And, uh, yeah, hopefully finding out who our next head coach is. That'll be good. If you haven't listened to our uh, previous podcast, it is now up and is about head coaches we touch on them in depth um so straight on to our on the clock segment for this week so this week's the divisional round the supposed best eight teams in the nfl will play for their places in the conference championships in the afc we have uh, the Chiefs, the Colts, the Patriots, Chargers. In the NFC, we have the Rams against the Cowboys and the Saints against the Eagles. Now, uh, I'm going to start this uh, on the clock slightly different. I asked a poll on a poll on Twitter: uh, Who are the biggest underdogs in uh, in this divisional round? Lee, who would you predict is top of this? Same question to you, Sean, straight away after. I think the. Uh... The biggest underdog would be the Eagles. That'd be my my guess. I haven't seen the poll, so no good. Sean, what about yourself? Literally. Yeah, I would probably tend to agree. I think they're obviously the sixth seed. Um, even if they was the question just for this weekend, or was it for the just Super this, Bowl? So who's the biggest underdog? Just for this weekend, uh, I would say a toss up. Then either Philly or Dallas. I'll, I'll go Dallas just to be different. Okay, so the results were 27... Oh, so I get four options of the Cowboys, Eagles, Chargers and Colts. Um, the Cowboys got 27% of the vote. The Eagles were the biggest underdog uh, with 37% of the vote, something that Eagles fans love being, so that might actually delight them in some ways, the fact that no one fancies them. Uh, the Chargers were at 12%, so potential signs of people being confident on the Chargers, not only this week, but going forward. And then... The Colts were on 24%. So the two AFC teams, a lot more fancy than two NFC teams. Um, play impact on who they're playing. So we'll start this week with the first game UK time is the Chiefs and the Colts. The Colts, to me, are one of the most perplexed, well, the, the biggest turnaround in terms of teams across the NFL uh, in the later part of the year. Um, Frank Reich has done one of the better coaching jobs. They go into Arrowhead, which is typically hard to win in. The Chiefs have only lost one game there this year, and that was to the Chargers by a point. How much chance do you give to the Colts um, this week, Sean? And can they come out of Arrowhead with the victory after essentially having a half-off against the Texans? 
So I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'll give them more than a chance. I think they win this game. Um, I was incredibly impressed with the defensive scheme as much as anything on Saturday against the Texans. Um, and I think that they have a brilliant opportunity here. I think Andrew Luck is, I think, almost unquestionably going to win the Comeback Player of the Year award. I think you would potentially have an argument for putting him in amongst the MVP discussion, although I don't think he's he's going to win that. Um, but I think in terms of his value to his team, he has been phenomenal um, and he continues to look better each and every week. Um, I think Eric Ebron looks a beast at tight end. I know the guys over at Five Yard Rush have been commenting on the strength of the tight end playing this game with obviously Kelsey for the Chiefs and Ebron for the um, for the Colts. I think that's an interesting matchup to watch. Um, I think this could come down to a simple who gets the ball last type of game. It could be very high scoring. I see it being a little bit of a shootout potentially. Um, I think. The thing for me to watch out for on here is, yes, the the Chiefs have got the number one seed. Yes, they've got the home field advantage. Um, however, with that being said, you know they did drop off a little bit towards the back end of the season. Um, now, you know, again, like I say, they they still have the overall best record, but you know, three of their losses, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, came in the last five or six games of the season. Um, so, you know. If anything, you know, you would say that they're not anywhere near in as good a run of form as what the Colts are. Um, and I just think the Colts have got the weapons to cause them some issues. I think the the Chiefs haven't looked as good since the Kareem Hunt incident. I think it's really disrupted them in terms of the balance of their game and the threat of Hunt coming out of the backfield has disappeared. Um, and I think, you know, Matt Eberflus, I think I've got that pronounced correctly. The defensive Sounds right to me. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I think he will have another good game plan written up. Um, I see the Colts winning this game. That might be a bit of a bold prediction, but I think the Colts have got every chance. I would I'd say that's a massively bold prediction. Um, I'm actually going to go with the Chiefs. Uh, narrowly, I think the Colts, for all the reasons you've stated, do have a chance, and I wouldn't write them off by any stretch. Uh, I do have to just fancy the Chiefs at home in Arrowhead. It's probably the largest, loudest stadium in the NFL on its day. Uh, Lee, what about yourself? Where do you see this game being won and lost, and who do you think will win it? I think the Chiefs find a way to win at home. I think that's such a hard place to go and play. But uh, I can definitely, I think it will be much closer than uh, a one seed against a six seed. Um, I can definitely see the, the Colts having a chance of winning. I personally always question as well. Everyone wants to get that that buy and be one of the top two seeds. Someone always gets caught out by starting slow in the in the first game they play back. And if the the Chiefs were to start slow, this game could actually be them playing from behind um, and could make it a very tight finish. Um, How I, big of a concern is the Chiefs secondary in this? Huge. <laughs> Something that they've not that hot, that defense hasn't been that impressive over the whole year, and that secondary has got holes. Can Andrew Luck almost dictate where he's going to throw it and really expose that? And like you say, if he gets off to a quick start, will Patrick Mahomes' potential MVP 
I mean, we're counting on them being able to keep up, but if the Colts can find a way, does it sort of hark back to what Sean was saying a minute ago about it being the last position wins? Is that going to be the case? Yeah, that definitely could be the case. Um, so I think this this will be tight. Um, I, I think um, we're in for a, for a cracking game. It's going to be a good watch. I mean, it'd be nice to see the Colts get out, see the, the Chiefs come back at them a bit and then let the best team win. I mean, I'm, I, I like um, one possession games, you know, and, and watch, uh, let's see who the best quarterback is. Um, there, no. There's, no, there's no one really hotter than the Colts. So, um, so the the only downside I think is that's such a hard place to go. If they were going to another team, maybe if they were going to a San Diego or even into a New England, I would give them more chance than, than going into Arrowhead. No, um, uh, nicely wraps up that game. Uh, so the next game for UK time, we flip over to the NFC. So the Cowboys at the Rams. Uh, the Cowboys have defined all odds, all the odds really all year. Uh, no one's really fancied them to get this far. Um, no one, I think they were probably un, the underdog last week against the Seahawks. Uh, Zeke as I touched on in the last pod, I think is the best running back in the NFL for what he does to, for his team. But I can't see a situation in which they walk away from the Coliseum with a victory this week in LA. Uh, Sean, am I correct to think that? Have the Cowboys got a chance? And if they have, what needs to happen for them to win? I think, have they got a chance? I think I think they probably deserve more credit than, than we and most people give them, um, to be fair. I think, you know, they they aren't a, you know, sexy team to watch for want of a better expression, but they do seem to find a way to get it done. Um, however, you know their home record was seven and one. Their away record was three and five. I think they're a different team at home uh, and going into LA. I, I know we always say LA is probably the worst home field advantage, but you know we are talking about the team in LA that do have a fan base here in terms of the Rams. Um, you know the Coliseum can get pretty loud, um, and I am a big fan of what the Rams have done this year. I think Todd Gurley has been treated very carefully, I would say, in the last couple of weeks of the season to get him ready for the postseason. He's pretty much confirmed as being back and will be starting this week. I think that's huge for the Rams and the and what they do offensively. Um I think if the Cowboys have any chance, you know, Zeke Elliott is gonna have to rush for probably 150 yards plus. They've got to win the time of possession battle. Um and again, if they can get out in front and make Jared Goff play from behind um, you know, then it will be interesting to see, you know, what that, you know, very good Cowboys defense can do. Um, I would have to take the Rams in this one, though. I don't see an upset in this one. I do think the Rams will get it done. I think it'll probably be tighter than most people think, though. I can see this one being, you know, a one possession game. Also, um, I don't think it will be particularly high scoring. I think the Cowboys defense is that good to limit the amount of points that the Rams put up. Um, but I do see the Rams getting the job done. So, yeah, I think the Cowboys actually have a chance if they can turn this into a, a low-scoring, run running kind of game um, and try and match up Ezekiel Elliott against Todd Gurley. Um, 
I don't see them winning the game, but I think that's if they've got a chance, that's the way to do it, is to take the game out of Jared Goff's hands and make make Gurley beat them on the ground and turn this into a into a kind of slug fest with the running backs. So the next game we're going to talk about is the Chargers at the Patriots. Um, the Chargers have got the feel of a team going into New England that can actually upset the odds. The Patriots on Divisional Weekend is something which we're all far too accustomed to at this point. Um, they always seem to be on this weekend after a bye week and enjoying life. Um, Sean, is there a way that Phil Rivers, in his biggest game of his career to date, in my opinion, walks out of New England with the victory and this sensational Chargers story continues? Uh, so I'm going for the double upset this weekend. I think the Chargers win this game as well. I think the one and two seed in the AFC are in big trouble this week, and I think that the Chargers get the job done. Um, they haven't actually lost a game that they've played outside of Los Angeles this year. Um, yeah, We've joked about it not being a great home field advantage. Well, this is a team that traditionally travelling from west to east coast is always said to be the most difficult thing to do, to win consistently. They've done that week after week and have got the job done. They've also had a game over in London, which they obviously won as well. Um, they do seem to be a team that you know aren't overly bothered about where they're playing. And I thought Philip Rivers' post-game interview was excellent last week when he pretty much said that you know whatever time, whatever venue, we'll be there and we'll play. Um, and I do think they get it done. I think the Melvin Gordon situation. Lee touched about it in our podcast earlier in the week. Um, I think that's one to look out for as we get closer to game day, just how healthy he is, because he's a huge part of what the Chargers do, um, particularly with some of the weather that has been forecast potentially for the weekend. I don't know if anybody has seen it, but there is the potential of snow in New England this weekend, which obviously then would lead you to think that the ground game and short passing would become important. Um Another bit of encouragement for the Chargers would be that Hunter Henry, their star tight end, who you know many predicted would have a great season and unfortunately got injured in the preseason, um, may well be having his first action of the campaign. Um, he's been activated off the pup list, so I think that's another big weapon for them. Um, I think the other thing to point out, you know, like you said, we, we're accustomed to New England being in this game. If you look at who they've played in the last few years. It has almost been, um, you know, very well, it has been very one sided. But you look last year, it was the Tennessee Titans. The year before that was the Houston Texans. This to me is a real proper challenge for them. I don't, you know, a little bit like what I said about the Colt, uh, the Chiefs, you know, inviting the Colts into their building as a six seed. They would be, you know, probably as strong a six seed as there's been in recent years. The same with the Chargers. Don't forget they had the equal best record in the AFC, along with the Chiefs. The only reason they're even in the wild card race is because the Chiefs are in the same division. They had the better regular season record than New England. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not completely dismissing New England. They obviously have a chance, uh, and it would not be a surprise to see them figure out a way to get it done. Um, but I do give the Chargers every chance. I'm certainly rooting for them. I think it'll be excellent to see the Chargers come through. Um, if my predictions hold true, how weird will it be to see 
the championship game being played in a football stadium in LA with about 25,000 people there. <laughs> uh, but we may well see it. Um, I'm really looking forward to the game. It's perfect the way for me to fall in TV-wise this week. I think the Saturday early game is the best one of the two. And I think the Sunday early one is the best one of the two on Sunday as well. So really looking forward to this one. Uh, and I'm going, like I say, for the double upset in the AFC. Fifth and sixth seeds coming through. No, I'd agree with that. And before I heard it was snowing, I uh, had made the pick that I thought the Chargers would win. I think mean, if it does snow, uh, and this is probably a bit of a cop-out using the weather to predict my picks. If it snows, I'm going to the Patriots. If it is no snow, I'm going to pick the Chargers. So I'm firmly on the fence here as much as anybody can be and relying on the weather to make my pick for me. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this game and is deciding the game on the weather, like I am predicting, uh, the right way to go about it? Uh, I think it's definitely got to be a factor when you when you talk about any game in the NFL. We've seen games played in Buffalo in deep snow. You know, it, it, The weather does affect affect the games um, I hope that you guys are right I'd love to see the Chargers go through and more to the point the Patriots not but I think this is going to be I'd love to say I'd love to say that it's going to be a battle of the quarterbacks but I don't think it is I think this is going to be a battle of the head coaches and I think Bill Belichick will come out on top at home um, I, I actually was thinking about it as, as you guys were talking and if things pan out this way, it would be so New England for the Colts to go and win in Kansas City and then them to play the championship game at home. That's got New England Patriots written all over it. So um, <laughs> I actually think they I actually think they win this game um, because it's at home, because they're experienced in the playoffs and they're used to having this week off. And I think it would be business as usual. I also think that this would be Brady and Belichick's last season together. People predict it year after year after year. I think the the play of Gronk will decide it for, for me. Um, and I think for that reason, you see a special performance out of New England. So to summarise, we couldn't be more on the fence. Sean's going the Chargers, you're going the Patriots, and I am relying on the weather to pick the game for us. <laughs> so <laughs> a even split there. That shows you how good this game has potential and why it's the best one like Sean alluded to, uh, for UK viewers, uh, time-wise, and in and the ideal game. Uh, the final game of the week is the Eagles, the reigning Super Bowl champions, going into New Orleans against the Saints. Uh, so Twitter has come up with the well, our poll on Twitter came out with the Eagles being the long, the biggest underdogs. Um, while we've touched on whether or not we agree with that. The Saints having a week off, probably ideal. I think they slowed towards the end of the season. I don't think it would be harsh to say that. Um, but they were worthy of not only their number one seed, they're also probably worthy of being labelled uh, the favourites to win it all at this stage. Um, Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara are, I mean, Michael Thomas as well, frightening on offence and a team that can pile up points quickly. But the defence uh, matured throughout the year and the addition of Eli Apple halfway through the year proved probably a lot of people wrong, me included, and almost transformed that defence in a really subtle way. Um, 
probably took them from being just a good defense to maybe a great one. And you you put that opposite Drew Brees, and the fact that every game that they will play will be in a dome if they keep winning. I don't see why they don't win this week against Philly. I think, I mean, Philly's defense is brilliant, but they were aided by the weather last week and the fact they were playing Mitch Krubisky. Go against an a MVP candidate in Brees and the Red Hot Saints. Can Philly and Nick Foles win again? And does the magic and the underdog tag that the Eagles and their fans, um, especially a big shout out to uh, Britt Eagles on um, Twitter for his preview or help with the preview last week. Can they do it, Lee? No. What hope do you give to the Eagles? No, not a chance. I, 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 <laughs> I think, I mean, they're, they're a Cody Parkey. I mean, I, I know it was tipped, so I suppose they, they made their own way there. They made their own destiny. But um, I think the Bears should have beat them last week. I think they, they had opportunity to. And I think this, this week they'll run into a juggernaut in their own place. And this will this it has a potential to get messy, in my opinion. Um, I do think, though, that... With the way the the Bears game ended, maybe the Eagles are that team of destiny, and maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. It, I do think if they were were to find a way to win this game, the market for Nick Foles will be incredible. There will be teams scrambling over themselves to get Nick Foles, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But um, yeah, I think they would have a hell of a market, and also probably a bit of a question about whether you know what what they do at quarterback. Do you trade away Nick Foles or Carson Wentz? What a million-dollar question. What a problem that would be to have. <laughs> uh, Sean, do you give the Eagles any hope? Uh, or are the Saints simply too hot to stop? Uh, so this game has already been played once this season in the regular season. It was week 11, I believe. So six or seven weeks ago now. And I think the Saints won... Scored about 50 points that day, if I remember right. Something like that. It was like certainly mid to high 40s, um, and I think the Eagles put up seven in return. I don't see it being that one-sided, but I, I can't disagree with what's been said there. I think the Saints just have too much. Um, I think the Eagles since that game, however, and, and I think I've alluded to this a few times, I've thought their season's been over for a while now, and it was probably following that Saints game. Since then, I think they've won... Six of the last seven games. Um, they're on a phenomenal run. They had to win the last three regular season games to get in to the postseason. They went away to LA and got a win. They beat Houston, who, you know, okay, did do great stuff last week, but, you know, ultimately were division winners at home. Um, obviously got a, a game against the Washington Redskins to get them into the playoffs and obviously won on the road again last week at Chicago. If they do find a way to get it done, it will surely have to go down as one of the most phenomenal runs in postseason history to go away to the Bears, go away to New Orleans, <laughs> potentially then away to the LA Rams. Um, you sh- we shouldn't write them out. You know, the sillier things have happened. Um, you know, but I'm not going to sit on the fence on it. I do think the Saints get this one done. Um, I think it will probably be the most comfortable winning margin of the weekend. Um, although certainly I don't see it being 35, 40 points or whatever it was as per the last time the guys played each other. Uh, but I could see the Saints winning this one a shade cosily, probably by a, a couple of touchdown margin. 
So to summarize, we have the Chiefs two and one in our predictions. We have the Rams at three and zero. Oh. We have the Patriots and the Chargers at a dead tie, depending on weather. And um, we have the Saints and the Eagles at three and zero. Oh. Uh, that any final word on this week's action before we move to our article review? No, Sean. Uh, I, I just think for me, I think you know, we, we are at the stage now where we have supposedly the eight best teams that are left, and I think it would be difficult to argue against any of these teams being in there. I don't look at this field and think it's a shame they're not in there. I think you, you could potentially substitute the Bears in, um, you know, but I think you know certainly the vast majority of the field that is playing this weekend have been the best teams to watch over the course of the season. Uh, you know, thoroughly looking forward to it. I think the the games all will be excellent games. They've all got their own intrigue about them. Uh, and obviously for the fans of any of those teams that are concerned, you know, look forward to, you know, hearing your opinions of how your team does or doesn't do. Uh, get your articles into us and, you know, it will help us with our reviews of the games next week. So looking forward to a good weekend of football. I'm so glad I asked for any final words because that was the perfect summary of not only this weekend, but what we want from what we want from our listeners. So we want articles, we want to review them. Um, talking about reviewing articles, we're now going to move on to one that was posted a while ago, but definitely deserves a conversation of its own. Um is entitled the Oakland job. John Green is doing a good job with the Raiders. Whoa, controversial statement. Uh, I think two of us actually go with this, including the man that writ it. Lee, do you want to open the floor with this? Um, and then Sean can tell us why he disagrees. <laughs> okay, so I actually, I thought this for a little while. I thought it was a great hire in the first place to take John Gruden there. And I think they've done a great job of building this team and the kind of premise of the article is that he's done a great job of building this team for success in 2020 when they moved to Las Vegas. I, 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 my whole thinking is based around that, and I think this is a, a good plan. I think they're almost following the Browns model a little bit of, of, of tearing it down and rebuilding it. I think they've got great value for the players they moved on. I think <laughs> if, if I'm right in my thinking that, that you know they want to be competitive in... 2020, then Khalil, trading Khalil Mack becomes a great thing because he is a great player. He's transformed the Bears' defense, so they got what they wanted out of it. And you got a first-round pick. You know, they, they both teams won in that trade, in my opinion. Um, and again, the same thing for Amari Cooper. They got a first-round pick for Amari Cooper when he wasn't playing well. I thought it was a great piece of business. Um, so yeah, I think everything is is based around getting this team ready to win in 2020. And with that, they people, if they are competitive in 2020, people won't, won't worry about this year that they were bad. That all, that all goes out the window with some success in, in, you know, in a, in the not too distant future. No, it's certainly um, an interesting point. And I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, they are very much looking at the future. They don't care about what they're doing in Oakland this year. Painful for the people of Oakland, but they have hired Gruden with, I mean, this 10-year contract, almost thinking that it might take 10 years to be uh, an NFL powerhouse again. Um, it might not take 10 years, but they are literally in mind that it's for Vegas, and when they move there, they'll be successful. I guess the one... I mean, he drew on the comparison with the Browns there, and it 
that does hallmark a lot of just taking multiple first round picks in one draft and building a young new young nucleus. Um, the initial, I mean, Amari Cooper, I still don't quite understand the trade because Amari Cooper himself is own, was only 24 at the time of, of the trade. So still an exceptionally young player. Uh, so they possibly could have got away with not trading him. Khalil Mack has, I mean, you've probably summed it up perfectly. He's not, in two years' time, he's probably only got four or five years left in the tank and he's probably not having that sort of Super Bowl run with Oakland where he could in Chicago. So it was a win-win for both teams. Um, the Bears have certainly found that success this year. Um, yes, Lee? I just think with, with Khalil Mack as well, that had he stayed in Oakland this year, they actually win a few more games and it, it it starts to unravel the plan a little bit because all of a sudden you end up in that middle tier of teams, in that sort of middle 10 um, in the draft and all of a sudden your pick has less value, you have less of a chance of picking up that you know um, true top tier talent from the draft as well. So actually I think in, in this scenario, having Khalil Mack would have hurt the Raiders more than helped them. Sort of stuck in the uh, the Bengals territory of uh, a <laughs> yeah. purgatory, purgatory as such. So perhaps blowing up was the best route. Sean, this is where I'm going to bring you in. Um, I know you've got some interesting takes on this, and perhaps disagree more so with the approach uh, to what me and Lee have sort of alluded to. I, I just think it's a real worrying trend that the league might be about to go through as much as anything. Um, I think if you look at the Browns as the model, if you like, that the Raiders are potentially trying to duplicate, as a Browns fan, I'm sitting here saying we've had a great season. We've won seven games. We're not going to the playoffs. We've won seven games, and that feels like a phenomenally good season. Now, the Browns have been aided in this approach and with this rebuild by suffering historically the worst two years ever played in the National Football League. They, you know, had to endure one win out of 32 games, and that was, ironically, off a missed field goal, which we talked about <laughs> earlier in the week. Yeah, we could have easily been 0-32, let alone 1-31. Now, as a fan, have I enjoyed the last year? Yeah, it's been brilliant. Did I enjoy any part of the previous two? Absolutely not. You know, there's only 16 opportunities a year to win a game in the NFL. Um, and the worrying thing for me is that this is almost now being viewed as the only way to do this. And that, for me, is the worrying trend that potentially could develop. There's only one team that gets to pick first each year. There's only one team, um, you know, that gets that opportunity. You know, let's just for argument's sake say the Browns had won enough games to pick Third, well, let's say second in the draft, not last year, the year before, they wouldn't have likely had the opportunity at Miles Garrett. Right? So Miles Garrett is viewed as a brilliant piece on the Browns' defence, and rightly so. They only had the opportunity for being that bad that they were able to take him. Same with Baker Mayfield. You know, there was a lot of rumours that potentially, if we hadn't have taken him first, that teams would have, you know, snapped him up had he dropped any further in the draft. So. You know, there was talk last year at draft time the Browns should pick Barkley at one and wait till four to pick the quarterback. We'll never know, but that scenario likely might not have played out. The the big danger for me is the only successful way to build a team, in my opinion, regardless of you know how many draft picks you've got, is is ultimately to land your draft picks, and it is as simple as that. 
if you look at the first draft that Sashi Brown was in charge of as the Browns GM, I'm just going to run through some of the players here, because they always say I give it three years to judge the draft class. We've got Corey Coleman, no longer with the Browns. Cole Nassib, no longer with the Browns. Sean Coleman, no longer with the Browns. Cody Kessler, no longer with the Browns. Ricardo Lewis, he's with the Browns, but he's never done anything for the Browns. Spencer Drango, no longer with the Browns. Jordan Payton, no longer with the Browns. Trey Caldwell, no longer with the Browns. Scooby Wright, no longer with the Browns. You know, and the list goes on and on and on. And you know, my point is that ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you've got one pick in the draft, 51 picks in the draft, you've got to get the right players to fit your scheme. And the thing that worries me with the Oakland situation is probably probably worse than the Browns scenario. And you, I'm glad that you mentioned Amari Cooper there as a really good example they're getting rid of players that are, you know, potentially premier talents or certainly good talents at positions that ultimately they've got an extra first round pick now for getting rid of Khalil Mack. They're likely to use that on a pass rusher. They arguably had one of the best in the game in the guy that they just got rid of. That's a sure thing. The draft pick is nothing more than a lottery ticket at this stage. And if they get the picks wrong, you would argue the Browns have got it wrong because you would look at the, the recent draft and, you know, we've, we've gone through Mayfield, Chubb, Ward, and you think, yeah, great, we've hit on all of these guys. Let's just say for argument's sake that we'd have picked Josh Allen instead of Baker Mayfield. Let's say we'd have picked, you know, I don't know, any other defensive player. And rather than picking Nick Chubb, we'd have gone for, what was the guy who went to Tampa Bay? Was it Ronald Jones or somebody, the running back? He went second round, I think, similar to what Nick Chubb went. You know, we'd be sitting here having a completely different conversation. You know, the Browns have had you know two terrible years and and are, you know destined for further years of misery. So it can work. It might work. I just think it's a huge gamble. And as a fan of a franchise, having to sit there and watch it being tour around, you know, around you, particularly when the franchise is moving, I think it's a real kick in the balls for the guys over in the uh, Oakland area. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed for them when it works out. Um, I just think it's worrying that this might be viewed as the only way to, to build a team in the future, which for me is a really worrying trend if it does happen. No, there's a lot of what you said, and Sean, that, that like, resonates without a question of a doubt. I think we're all going to go to bed now uh, saying the words, no longer with the Browns. Um, <laughs> we'll have dreams of that. Um, just to touch on, on one point, how... Big of an impact does the fact that John Gruden got ten years have? Like to me, that almost has given the hot uh, or makes the next difference in most situations. So why the Browns blew up? They initially thought they'd give it to Hugh Jackson and give him time. If other teams do copy this situation, will coach that goes into this situation, knowing that that's the plan, be demanding similar? time and money to what Gruden has been promised in, o- well, in Oakland or with the Raiders. Does that have a huge impact on it? Um, first, we'll go to Lee. Yeah, i got to say, I do actually agree. I don't think it's a great way to build a team. It's not the way I would want the Dolphins to build a team in, in, a, in a time right now where a lot of fans would like them to blow it up and start again. I just think that with the Raiders in particular, it's because it's in conjunction with a move that I think it suits them. I don't think it's a good trend. I do agree with Sean on that for sure. Um, I think to help them improve on these draft 
draft classes as well. That's why you see them hire Mike Mayock. I think that's their their last piece of the puzzle to try and get that part right, where they're not going to entrust it to the head coach, they're going to entrust it to a, a draft analyst. Whether it works or not, it's a whole other matter. I mean, this whole thing could definitely blow up in their faces. Um, but yeah, it could I think make that's for a great TV. <laughs> it could oh, make it could, for a great movie. Brilliant TV. An absolutely brilliant movie in the makings there. And do, I mean, just to bring it back full circle, if the Raiders were to trade back their first pick in this draft coming forward and accumulate more lottery tickets as such, would that for you, Sean, go to some way to easing the concerns about what they're doing and perhaps reducing the the risk involved with this almost tanking policy? Or would that just further, I don't know, create more questions about what they're doing in the strategy? I think the phrase, like you say, lottery tickets is probably a good one, isn't it? That, that That's all that draft picks essentially are. So there is the argument out there that says the more lottery tickets you buy, the more chance you've got of getting it right. So I, I do get the, the philosophy behind it. Like I said, I don't particularly agree with it. I mean, you know, you've, you take the, you know, I'll keep going back to the Browns and apologies to the listeners for all that, but obviously being a Browns fan, I've, I've sat through this. I think you go back to the, you know, the infamous paying the Houston Texans 16 million quid, essentially, for their second round pick. I think the, the press release on the night that we traded for Brock Osweiler was, we've acquired a second round pick from the Houston Texans. Oh, and by the way, we've got Brock Osweiler as quarterback as well. Yeah, the, the trade was for the pick and... You know, yes, that pick has turned into Nick Chubb. So, you know, you would argue that in the end it's paid its dividends. You know, however, again, we could have drafted somebody completely different and he might not have worked out. It's it's all about getting the draft picks nailed. And if you can get the draft picks nailed, you're then in business. The danger of having so many first round picks is that is this potentially a model for very, very short term success? You've got to wait three or four years for the success to come. But then when it does come, is that success actually going to be short-lived? Because at some point, let's say things go swimmingly well for the Browns over the next three to four years, we're going to have to pay Miles Garrett. We're going to have to pay Jabril Peppers. We're going to have to pay David Njoku. We're going to have to pay Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb all at the same time. Now, don't wrong, it's a lovely problem to have. I would much rather be in that situation of deciding which one of those guys not to keep. And, and the best teams have that problem every year. You know, the, the Patriots are the masters, aren't, aren't they? You know, they know when is the time to get rid of a player. When is it the optimum before, he, you know, he, he sort of has to get that contract paid. So it's a great problem to have, but it does potentially cause a problem down the line. So, you know, like I say, it can work. I just think there's a lot of risk to it. You've got to be extremely patient as a fan base for it to happen. I think Lee's point is... is is absolutely crucial to this and probably why the, the Raiders are doing it. And, and like I say, I think it's a big, you know, F you to the fans in Oakland, but it probably is very much to get them competitive for Vegas. And, you know, if it works, then good luck to them. But I think there's as much chance of them ending up, you know, drafting first overall in their first year in Vegas as there is of them winning the Super Bowl in their first year in Vegas. It could be one extreme or the other. No, you probably summarised that absolutely beautifully. Uh, Lee, final final word on uh, on your own article. Um, it was an absolute banger. I'm going to include it in the link for this pod for anyone to go and read. 
and feedback on. Um, final word on the Raiders and what we've basically just discussed in terms of strategies going forward for NFL teams and will this become an adopted model or, or not, really? I completely agree with Sean. I hope this doesn't become an adopted model and I certainly don't want my team to do it this year. I I do just think it's it's kind of a, a good opportunity for the Raiders to, to try it. Like you say, I mean, it could go well, it could go horribly, but I think they were set up to go eight wins anyway this season. So they, they've sort of made their bed and they're going to, they're going to lie in it. But, um, I do also think it, it could be very interesting. They, they could have a hiccup where if they were to decide to, that the Raiders were going to play here next year, that, that this would upset Gruden terribly. And then that plan would start to fall apart. Because it's prim- it's kind of based around the fact that right we've got our head coach and we've got our GM, and if that was to fall apart, um, as we know, John Gruden doesn't like to fly, and is very very much against them playing here. Whereas I believe for the from a, from an NFL point of view, um, it, this is a superb opportunity to to have the team here for one year with no commitments and test out this model that they've sort of built you know for over a decade now. And it's the, the prime opportunity to have a full season. And if it doesn't work, they don't have to, to then try and move a team back out of London. It was always a one-year experiment. So I think that could also derail this plan. Um, but I do actually, I mean, I agree with Sean's points on everything. I don't think this is a, is a good model for all teams to, to apply. I just think it's good for the Raiders and they're pulling it off the way you would want to if you agree that this is a good idea. Perfect summary. Sean, any final words on this? Uh, just touching on the, the potential of the Raiders in London, I agree. I think that has got more legs than the Raiders probably want to give it credit for. I do think there is every opportunity that that potentially can get worked out or will get worked out, even if it ends up as, you know, maybe sort of as many as six games in London with a couple in Mexico or something like that. As long as Trump doesn't build his wall before then, obviously. (laughs) Let's not get political on the podcast. Um, You know, I can see it happening, and I think that will have impacts. On the flip side of it, it could actually have a real positive impact because, you know, the likelihood of then then getting a higher draft pick for 2020 probably increases. (laughs) Uh, You know, so from that point of view, it may well be um, a good thing. And and like I said, that, that for me, you know, in danger of repeating what I said earlier, it's just a very risky strategy. You have got to be that bad for this to be a good strategy. And if, and if as a professional sports team, you're sitting out with the intention of being bad, I don't think it's a great look. And I think it's something that the league will have to look carefully at. I think Rob, if he was on the podcast, would agree. I know Rob doesn't like the idea of tanking, even though the Panthers did that for the last half of the season, Rob. So come on, mate, <laughs> think about it. Uh, Lee, do you want to finish off, mate? Yeah, just going back to a point you you made as well. I think if other teams were to adopt this, it suddenly makes it a very, very unattractive place to go as a head coach. Because what you're doing is saying, right, I'm going to take the job, but our whole intention is to lose. And I think that's how you become a one-year head coach. And, you know, if, if you want the big name or you want the experienced head coach, no, no one's taking that job on willingly without a 10-year contract. No, that's a very valid point. Uh, Sean, final word, and then we will wrap up for this week. It's the fourth final word of the week, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) 
just a very see, quick yeah, one. See the issues I have hosting every week. <laughs> it's just a quick one. I've just got a perfect head count candidate that, that, that would take the job, and I'm sure Hugh Jackson's available still, so <laughs> there you go. Sorted. He will guarantee you the number one pick. Absolutely. Uh, that wraps us up nicely for this week. Remember, if you want your articles or your topic of choice discussed on the podcast, Submit the articles to allfaceu.co.uk. I read every single article that is submitted. Uh, and I know Sean and Lee get on themselves and read many. And we have many people that will do likewise. Um, if you've never written before, don't be afraid. Before creating our, this, this was Lee's first ever article. Um, before creating All 32, I'd never written anything. Sean has also openly said in the past he had never written anything. Uh, if you give it a go, people are very good with feedback and they'll be very positive about what you write. Um, so I'd encourage anyone to get involved. Uh, finally, gents, where can people find you on social media? Sean? Yeah, so on Twitter, it's at all32sean. Just a little caveat, Chris. Just remember, Packers fans aren't always that positive with the feedback for articles. <laughs> It's not my fault that they have the worst roster in the NFL. Uh, Lee, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find um, me. At, uh, you can find me at all32 Lee. Let's um, let's discuss the Raiders some more because I, th- I think this this discussion could go on for an awful long time. Bearing in mind we won't see the results till 2020. <laughs> <laughs> in 2020, we'll be harking back to that's the, right. The oh, 9th right. of January when we're recording this. I'm <laughs> going. Oh, would you look at that? <laughs> Uh, that wraps us up nicely. You can follow uh, myself mainly on All32 UK on Twitter, uh, like the Facebook page at All32. Uh, we'll be asking questions every week and discussing those on our first of our podcasts uh, on a weekly basis. So any questions you have, pop them in. Um, we'll hopefully have some preview articles to go alongside this pod. Uh, to go live on Thursday or Friday, maybe even Saturday. I'm trying to get as much fan interaction as possible for those with many of the UK accounts. Um, thanks for listening. Uh...